Empire. Gaming, gambling, and ownership is growing in the virtual world. The horse racing industry has a real problem attracting younger demographics. And uh, we're working with some of the biggest companies in the US, Australia, and the UK to bring younger demographics that we can engage via virtual racing, educate via virtual racing, and then hopefully it creates a positive cycle of them owning horses in the virtual world. That's Jonathan Straws, CEO of Invincible GG, where competitive gaming is going next level. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. I personally have a dream of owning a Kentucky Derby horse one day. That dream does include the possibility of owning just a hoof of that Derby runner, considering the cost to purchase potential champions. For Jonathan Straws, while replicating owning a Derby winner in the virtual world is not currently possible, it does provide fertile ground for the modern horse player and would-be owner. Our guest this week is Jonathan Straws. He's the CEO of Invincible GG, which is a company that is focused in interactive sports entertainment and competitive gaming through video games, gambling, and artificial intelligence. And they got a really cool new release coming out this fall called Owner's Club in virtual horse racing. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you? Uh, tell me a little bit about the company first, and then we'll get into the specific releases. But what does Invincible do? Yeah, you hit on a couple of key points there, but we are a platform gaming company that's primarily focused on AI-powered virtual sports. Uh, we use what we like to think are cutting-edge technologies like AI, advanced sports simulation, blockchain technology, and we deliver a very immersive and rewarding skill gaming experience where players compete with their IQ, their gaming IQ or sports IQ, rather than their thumbs. Um, the events that are generated on our platform are distributed to casinos and tracks and betting shops are in the United States and around the world. We're the first uh, AI-based technology to ever be approved in Nevada. Um, and working with some of the largest gaming companies in the world in this endeavor. Uh, and as you mentioned, our first game is coming out, uh, a horse racing game is coming out this fall. Okay, and let's talk about that game. It's called Owner's Club. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about it? Sure, it's, um, it's a, it's, we're, we're trying to be true to the sport. Uh, I'm a horse racing fan. I've been in the industry for over a decade. Uh, we developed a game that tries to create a true skill experience where people own horses. They train, care for them, feed them. Um, they develop uh, the genetics of the horse. They, um, through breeding, they uh, can develop specific skills the horse has that tailors them to certain types of racing. Uh, the horses, uh, people can acquire the horses for free in our in, on our uh, mobile app. They can buy, they're sitting in a casino or sitting in a track and they want to participate in a race right now. They can get premium horses that... Uh, are come fully trained. And of course we've got uh, NFT horses that are the very kind of uh, most scarce and most premier horses in our system that are available uh, through our, our blockchain platform. Um, but they, uh, once they develop these horses and they train them to be the horse they want them to be, they can race in public races that are broadcast on the internet. They're also broadcast to major casinos in Nevada, to other states, to other, we're gonna be countrywide in Panama and Latin America. Um, and they also can race peer-to-peer in self-form races, so race clubs, race leagues. You and I could race our horses in a match race or do our entire stable in a team race 
against each other, self-formed, um, and all for real money if people want to. So it's both that people can play for free, they can pay for uh, U.S. dollars into races uh, in 37 states, and they can also use crypto to uh, to stake the races as well. I will out myself. So we're as, very, very broad platform. Uh, I will out myself here as a big horse racing fan for a moment. Um, as you know, you aren't the only group doing this. There are others like Zed Racing that have done similar type of things. There are others out there as well. What do you think will differentiate what you're doing with this from others? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, first, we're, we're the only mobile uh, NFT sports uh, uh, competition game out there. So most folks are doing their platforms uh, via the internet, uh, web browsers. We have that, but we also have a mobile game where people can basically have their stable of horses with them wherever they go, um, be constantly developing their, their, their stables and competing via their mobile phones. Uh, so that's a huge difference. Another difference is we're the only game out there that allows people to actually develop the horses which means improve the capability of the horses. And if it's an NFT, that advancement, that development is uh, transferred to the blockchain. And so we're the first company to really develop what's called dynamic or multifunctional NFTs, where the NFTs actually improve, which is kind of counter, counterintuitive to the idea of a non-fungible token. Our, our uh, NFTs actually change and improve. Um, but the biggest thing, honestly, is that, so that, and that, and that because of that, it's truly a skill game. Uh, I, I argue that we're probably the only true skill game available in the in, uh, blockchain game, uh, which is really important because in most states, if it's not a skill event, it's not permissible for real money stakes. Other companies get around that by using VPNs and by basically getting, you know, edging around the, the, the regulations. We take the regulations head on. We provide, we've been approved 37 states. We've been approved in Nevada for true wagering, uh, which is the final piece. Our, our content is broadcast legally um, for wagering. And that, uh, we spent 10 years getting that technology approved and a lot of gaming board has, uh, approved us BMM and certified our platform. So we're the real deal in terms of doing it the right way and doing it legally. And so I think that's a massive differentiator for us. Can you talk about that process a little bit of getting it through the board? Obviously it took a long time, but what were the steps that it took to allow them to feel comfortable with what you had built? Candidly, the, the first five years, we just were trying to educate them on our artificial intelligence powered platform. So, I mean, the idea, as I said before, we're the first uh, technology that's been approved for wagering in Nevada that's not based on a random number generator. It's based on artificial intelligence simulation. And uh, it takes a long time to get, you know, a group of people that are, are uh, the technology labs, the group of people that are running the board to understand how we can do this in a way where people can't tamper with the system, where they can't uh, game the system, uh, that it's truly a fair competition. And then when people are wagering on it, that what they're seeing is, uh, you know, that we run, we're like a real horse race in terms of the probabilities of horses coming in, that uh, um, there's no way for people to uh, basically cheat the system by having their horse not run well or run super well. Um, it took a long time to educate them on how we do things and to prove to them that the system was truly safe and uh, um, a great gambling experience for people. Um, but when we finally did, you know, yep. we had uh, we we're blessed to have partners like uh, BetMGM, Boyd Casinos really step up and support us. And 
that helped as well. Um, obviously, the technology has changed dramatically in artificial intelligence from when you started this process to where we are now. Can, can you kind of, I know that's a very broad thing to say, can you kind of take me through some of the things that have occurred over this period of time to get to where you are now? Sure. The, um, well, first, we, you know, we acquired this company from Telewest, which is a large UK uh, broadcast company. They were basically doing interactive virtual racing on uh, interactive TV using remote controls. And it was really cool, early stage uh, technology, early stage AI technology, um, re- relatively rudimentary. And it was a great technology, really bad market in terms of pe- the number of people that actually want to use a remote control to control a horse on their television is very few. But we bought the company and the technology and uh, we've been, and that, that's been a, a 10 year process to really keep embracing advancements in AI. And so my background just by, by way is, and we've, I've always been interested and involved in optimization using genetic algorithms to optimize. I've worked for McKinsey for a long time where I worked in oil and gas and creating global models where we use genetic algorithms to, to predict the supply and demand of oil and gas. I got him. I'm a big baseball guy. We built probably the best, uh, uh, I guess, form in baseball. I had a company that did that called predictive technologies. We used again, AI learning systems to, to track, Everything from pitchers to players to the, 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 how people bat. We came up with advanced statistics and, and prediction models to predict outcomes of baseball games. So this all flowed in. That was all prior to acquiring the technology. And so when I got the technology, it really became about how do we how do we help horses uh, be intelligent when a race is happening real time. So uh, we think about AI technology as deterministic or directive AI versus independent AI. And so Directive AI means you're telling a horse what you want it to do. So if you want you to tell your horse to be a, a, a front runner or a stalker, you tell the horse to do that. The horse in a live event has to try to accomplish that. They want to win the race, but they want to win the race using the tactic that you've told them to use. And so our horses have spatial awareness. They hear, they see and hear the other horses. Um, and they're making real-time decisions throughout the race to try to accomplish the goal, which is to win the race and win the race using the tactics you're asking them to employ. Um, that's directive, because you've given them, you've told them what to do, um, and they're trying to accomplish it. When you think about independent AI, we want those horses to also learn, I and mean, this is what we're developing now, which is as they're trying to accomplish these things, they should get smarter about what succeeds and what doesn't succeed in the course of doing that. So we're pushing that notion of independent AI for these, uh, what we call you know, uh, artificial athletes, the next phase, which we're really excited about, is the more collective AI. So if you think of it, I'm a big basketball guy. I'm a Duke, Duke graduate. So it's um, in my blood. But when we think about our next game, which is a basketball game, and AI uh, basketball players, it's not just their independent intelligence and skills. It's how they work together, the collective. So how do they work as a team? If you're in the basketball, basketball at all, you know that some guys are phenomenal players but terrible team players. Some guys are great team players, but average players. And so how do you bring that notion of a group of players working together and improving together to succeed? And so that's how we think about artificial intelligence. Obviously, we use learning systems and traditional uh, AI techniques. Um, but uh, we're really excited about what that can do from a gaming experience and the kind of fun gameplay you can have when you've got, let's just say, legendary basketball players that while you may be telling them what you want them to do, they practice with each other and learn new moves and learn new ways of playing. Oh. And they surprise their owner with that 
those capabilities they didn't expect. Um, so it's really trying to take you know, the, the sports gaming to the next level of intelligence. You've built handicapping platforms for baseball. You've worked in oil and gas, which probably has a lot to do with human consumption. Have you figured out horse racing yet? Because I still have it. I'm 50 years old and uh, it, you could put anything out there and there is there is no foolproof method to be correct about how a horse race is going to is going to be determined. With all honesty, uh, when we built the baseball uh, predictive models, we said, OK, this is great. And we were we and we were really good. We sold the company to a large online gaming. They use it for uh, setting the lines now in in, uh, in Vegas. So we were really good. We tried so hard to create a similar system for horse racing that would predict, from a betting standpoint, the overlays and, and the the outcomes. And candidly, we couldn't do it. Um, and the issue is, I think honestly, is that the, it's it's as much about um, the money and how it flows as it is about the predictive of predicting the race. And the great horse betters have systems, the syndicates have systems that basically not only are tracking the, the, the horses and have people really on site looking at the horses, all the analytics behind the horses, and they have all the analytics around the, how the money's flowing before they make their decisions on where they're placing their bets. And they place their bets at the very last second, which is a huge advantage over the guys like us who try to are placing our bets 10 minutes before the race starts. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I've never, I've never personally solved it. I'm, uh, I'm, I can't say, um, I was down at Gulfstream for the Pegasus this year, and I, yeah. my first my first bet I hit a trifecta, and I did not win another bet the entire rest of the day. So I'm not I'm not a very good horse better. Um, you know this industry it's it's an industry I love. I've been a big fan of horse racing for a long time. Um, a number of notable tracks have closed in recent years. Obviously, the major races I think are relatively safe, especially the Triple Crown races because they're kind of part of American lexicon. But do you see a future differently than, say, baseball or basketball, where you're making games that will work alongside um, the NBA or other major leagues, where virtual gaming is a more dominant version of the actual live sport itself? Um, I would never say a more dominant version. I would say a complementary version. So let me talk about what we're doing in horse racing, because what you're talking about the horse racing industry has a real problem attracting younger demographics. And uh, we're working with some of the biggest companies in the US, Australia, and the UK to bring younger demographics that we can engage via virtual racing, educate via virtual racing, and then hopefully it creates a positive cycle of them owning horses in the virtual world, coming to the track to see those horses run, I'll get to that in a second, and uh, then participating in the real sport. Uh, we, we have an, a complimentary application um, called Race Day, where we give everyone in the stands, and we did this with uh, recently with um, a local company here who, who owns a big track in Maryland, and give everyone a, a, a virtual horse. They, on, the day, on Race Day, they participate in a bunch of preliminary virtual horse rounds with their virtual horse, and the last two races are broadcast at the track and via simulcast, the semifinal round and the final round. So their horses are participating at the track in a virtual contest. And in states like Maryland, where we're working to have the platform approved for legal wagering. So if you're at Pimlico and you're watching your horse run and people are betting on that. And so it creates an entirely 
different experience for people because they ownership of real horses is very expensive. Yes. Owning real horses and, and feeding real horses is very expensive. Virtual horses is not. And so it allows people to participate and, and, uh, Big racing companies, especially in Australia and the UK, really get this. And so they're embracing what we're doing. They're helping us with our product and our uh, getting our, our game to market, but also us helping them engage their players. I think the same thing is going to happen in the sports. Um, when you think about going to a, again, with our, our combined technology, when you think about going to a, a basketball event and you have halftime, you have time before the game and after the game where people are in the stands, why not have competitions of virtual basketball that people in the stands actually own the entities they're competing and you create great prizes associated with it. And you get them engaged in the sport of basketball on their own. So maybe it's people that play NBA 2K, which is a phenomenal game. Um, maybe it's people who never played a basketball game, but now we're getting them into it because they want to participate at these live events. And there's really cool things you can do from a gaming standpoint to engage people. Uh, so I see it as being complimentary and, um, tying, tying the, and, and also I think the younger groups of people, the millennials and Gen Z like to collaborate. They like to do things together socially, but they're very comfortable doing that also, you know, in a, uh, uh, mobile phone or a digital way. And we're kind of creating situations where people are together and collaborating, but they're also on their digital device. So I think it's very accessible to that generation and will be, you know, a way of, of, of really building a fan base not only for the real sport, but also for the virtual sport. Okay, let's talk about accessibility then and how you're thinking about that long-term with your game. Um, I, I assume there's going to be some level of scarcity of the virtual horses that can be acquired. I assume there's going to be a marketplace for the ones that perform well. So how do you prevent what is similar in real horse racing, large money owners owning the best horses running in the best races because they become unaffordable. How are you thinking about a virtual marketplace in horse racing? Yeah. And so it's what well, you're, you, you mentioned before, uh, other games like ours that are already out. So Zed run, uh, photo finish, fantastic games, different from us, but fantastic games, but they're already having that problem. If you want to buy a, a really, well, any horse in photo finish now, it's going to cost you 600 bucks or more. That's right. And, and, uh, it's, that's not what we're trying to do. We think about this again. I spent years in the video game industry doing M&A actually, and um, learned a lot from really smart video game people about how you grow games and how you, uh, especially when things like this, when you have power, you know, a world of Warcraft where you have powerful characters and you want to have, but you want to have basically be accessible. Uh, so we think about our growth, like Pokemon. Like our system is basically a deck, a full deck of Pokemon cards. You think about it. And as we scale, the scarcity, the number of scarce cards scales with our business. So there's always, we're always going to be putting out additional, um, uh, content horses or AI entities to match the market and keep the market balanced. And we think very, we thought very hard about that. But one thing that really helps is, in, on accessibility is one thing that's, that's unique about us is we allow people to come in get a horse for free. They can develop that horse for free and they can actually mint it. So a player can come in for no cost, develop a kick-ass horse and then sell it on the blockchain. So for the people that are willing to spend 200, $300 for a horse, that's accessible. And so we, there really is no, no price prohibitor for people participating with us. Now people may want to do it faster. So they may want to pay a little bit of money to accelerate that process. But still, it's not the same as going out and buying um, really expensive NFTs. 
And when we drop our NFTs this fall, which will be happening in October, we're coming out at a relatively low price compared to the rest of the marketplace. So um, we're trying to be accessible. We wanna, we'd rather have you know, a million players playing our games where the horses cost a couple of dollars than 2,000 people playing our game where they cost yeah. $6,000. Right. Um, so it's simple. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to build a large uh, followership. So we're going to keep it inexpensive. Um, how are you thinking about the virtual tracks as well? Are they replicas of famous tracks? How are you thinking about that? Uh, all of the above. So we have a really cool Vegas track that has uh, all of our partner casinos around the track, which is a really neat and looks awesome at night. Um, we have other tracks where we are still in. Uh, if you look behind us, you'll see Charm City, which is essentially Pimlico. Yeah. Um, uh, there are companies we are in discussions with where we make the real name. Uh, we may keep it as Charm City because it's really fun and people in this area understand the, the uh, what it is and um, we're not infringing any rights by doing that. Um, in other countries like uh, Australia and the UK, we're building actual 3D replicas, you know, CGI replicas of famous tracks uh, that are licensed. And we're doing revenue share with those companies in terms of the people who participate in our game, as well as people participating on events at those tracks. So we like that model. We like to create, we want to create a simulation of the real world. We want to be partners with the industry and support the industry. Uh, and we think bringing the actual tracks into the our into our metaverse uh, is the way to go. It, it's just honestly at this time, it's uh, there's a bit of pulling required because the crypto market is so depressed that major U.S. corporations feel like, well, why? I mean, we don't want to get our toes in the water in crypto now. Um, so, well, we'll get there, and I think it'll be really exciting when we have some of the top top tracks. Um, in our system. Okay. Well then let me leave you with, with your final thought there about cryptocurrency. Um, do you think that market will rebound? I assume you do think that's going to happen. And, and why do you think that's going to happen? Well, so I, to me, this is, the, you know, I'm old. <laughs> this is the second time I've seen a bubble burst. When I left McKinsey back in uh, 1999, I uh, started a dot-com incubator and uh, within one year, it, it and we sold it to a public company and did all stock transaction. I was, I remember giving a speech uh, in April of that, of that year. As, as I was giving the speech, the market was literally crashing and the, and the stock I owned went from being basically, I got it $119 a share. It went down to $1.19 a share <laughs> in one week and I was locked in. But we all know what happened after that. We know what happened with the internet, with e-commerce, with B2B e-commerce. Um, it's been a, a long, steady growth ever since. I think I think blockchain is the same. I think we're in a place where, uh, just like back in the dot-com days, you have a lot of people who are doing things uh, as a money grab, not yeah. doing things the right way. Yep. And I think the market is rationalizing, and but it doesn't mean the technology is not sound and value-added. It's incredibly value-added. Um, and it doesn't mean that great companies will not come forth and build great ecosystems and great businesses, they will. I think we're doing things, everything we do, we try to do the right way from a regulatory standpoint, from a legal standpoint, from you know, when we're, our NFTs, our token, all compliant from an SEC standpoint. And I think companies like ours will keep coming in and doing cool things in the space and the, and the space will grow. Jonathan Straws is the CEO of Invincible GG. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, thanks for having me. 
on the next Future Sport Podcast. Peer-to-peer gambling is growing quickly. These businesses that we acquired were being run by, by two people when we bought them. You know, we've grown that almost 30x, right? We're approaching 60 full-time employees right now because of the amount of work it takes to facilitate this number of transactions and, and handle real money. And That's Joel Milton, co-founder of Splash Sports, where some coveted platforms are being used as a jumping-off point for what they believe is an underserved market. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.